to have you with us today as we begin a brand new series uh, we're titled Build. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the concept of building. We've got people here in this place who are actual builders, we've got architects, we've got laborers, we've got all types of people. For me personally, I am absolutely horrified if anybody gives me a tool or gives me a plan or gives me a, anything to do with building, I am the most unhandy human being around. Looking at a, at a building plan, like the one you see on the screen, it usually brings me some type of an anxiety. And nothing more than a time where Susie and I uh, built our first uh, home and, uh, and the guy, the, the, the designer will show us the building. Susie can, uh, you know, roughly figure it out. And I have no idea. And I'm supposed to be the man in the house. All that I do is just shake my head, pretending I really know what the guy is talking about. But Susie always wanted to go into the site and actually check what they're doing. And they allowed us to do that. I don't know how, but they allowed us to do that. And one time we were walking in and Susie said to them, is that the wall as soon as you walk into a, a particular corridor and they said yes said no 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 we want it to be half a wall and there and then they picked it down and they actually tried. I had no idea what she just said to them to do until we moved into the house and said that's what you said we should do that was a good idea and uh, and then obviously I was watching most of the uh, the time that our builder uh, um, you know, designed and, and built the house until we, uh, we, we were in a church, our first church, and we were about to, to, to change a factory uh, shell into a, a community center with an auditorium, several offices, uh, and a, a, a youth facility and the like. And uh, we didn't have enough money, so we all had to play our part. They didn't have an idea of how bad a handyman I am, but I had more courage than I had competence, so I wanted to leverage that. So uh, as soon as we got the okay to get in and do stuff, most of our congregation were young professionals. They worked all day long, and we couldn't afford having tradies to do everything, so we, just, we decided that we're going to get tradies to do the offices because they were important, but the auditorium, we had one of our main people in the church was also also a builder said, I'm going to do that task, but I need some people to help me out. Guess what? Nobody else was free during the day, but little lucky me. I was, I was his support man. I didn't know what on earth he was doing, but I worked with him from about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning up until about, say, 3.30 when he left and went home. And then came the other uh, volunteers at about 6.30 or so after they finished work and and it was such a, an incredibly fun environment, even though I didn't have a clue what we were doing, but it was such a fun environment because of the collaboration that was going on. And once we built it all, you look back and you say, wow, I didn't have much say into what was going on. I didn't have an idea, but I am so proud of the little sanding that I did or a little painting that I did. And it has such an incredible sense of achievement because we were doing this for all of us, not just one of us. And if life was a construction industry, was li if life was a construction what would you say you're building right now? 
Are you building a house like I was? Or are you building a church, a common environment for people together to be blessed and to go to the next level of their development? What are you building right now? You know, if you look around you, regardless of the age or the group of people that you're around, you will notice people are always in the business of building. Some people are building their reputation and they're working really hard at manufacturing a particular PR image, a brand that people will look at and love and adore. And, and they've managed the way of how to speak and how to maneuver people's emotions so they can appear to be the best they possibly can. And, and they give you the edited version of their life that you stand up and you say, wow, that looks magnificent. Little do you know what's happened on the inside. Other people are in the business of building wealth and resources. It's for them. It's life about building comfort. And the more comfort, the more uh, resources that I, uh, that I build around myself, the more my future is going to be bright and happy and exciting. And all that they invest in their time, whether it's work or, or energies or people that they're connecting with, all they want at the end of the day to manufacture a way to bring all the resources that they want for a happy, comfortable, easy lifestyle. You've, you've seen people around you who are engaged with the idea of building results, and they feel like the more they achieve, the more people will respect them, the more they have significance or approvals or applauds, and the future is going as if the future is going to write in the pages of history all their achievement. The reality is nobody remembers anything. You can put all your energy in building some fantastic results and every, <clears throat> and every century can only remember just few people. What are you building? Some people building teams. Some, building, some people building ministries. Some people building churches. But you know, in the, at the end of the day, there is only two types of motivations for building. Regardless of what you're building, there is only two types of motivations for what we're building. The first one, it's the project of self. All you're building or whatever you're building is for the project of yourself. You're building yourself up. I'm building myself up. Regardless what we're doing, we could be in the midst of building something that appears so religious and so godly and so honorable. But the reality is the motive why I'm building this overwhelms what I'm building. And some of us, maybe even in the world, as you see people around you, you notice that the motive for what they're building is the project of self. They're building as high as possible an image, a brand, an achievement of what they look like, what they feel about themselves, their identity, and their performances. And others are in the business of building a selfless project. And regardless that both put the same amount of energy and both experience same amount of hardship because nothing that you will achieve in life that is not hard work, you know that, I know that. But the truth is this, some build it for self, the project of self, and some build it for a selfless project. What are you building? I'm probably anxious to say that even in Christianity, 
we still come into the idea of God with the same concept of building the project of self. And we think that just because we come to Jesus as individuals and we put our faith into Jesus as individuals and God has a plan for us as individuals that Christianity is about you and Christianity is about me. And that's a brand new brand that we've accepted from the culture. What you're constructing is you're constructing the project of self within a Christian context. And you know what? The book of Ephesians in the first couple of chapters is all about you and it's all about me. Where Paul is saying to, to, to the Christians who are brand new Christians, he's saying to them, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He says to them, you've been forgiven. You have been selected. You have been loved. You have been, you, you know, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He goes on in chapter 2 and says, you have been saved by grace. It's not from you. It's the gift of God. And then he says to them that you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we have a purpose and, and an aim and a design and you are here on purpose for a purpose and it's absolutely fantastic but he wanted to let them know that even though you come to Christ as a person uniquely selected by God you do not live life for the rest of your life in a self-centered selfish endeavor even if it has a Christian flavor and friends let me tell you and you know it like the back of your hand. If Jesus was to be defined in one word, it would be about selflessness. It's something that we don't appreciate. It's something that we have been bombarded with media and ideas and culture to say life is about the number one. And it could not be nothing. It could not be further from the truth. Christianity is not about the number one. And Paul, in this particular passage that we'll read today, he begins to tell the Christian that life is about a building. And the building is not about you. So let's have a look at what Paul says to the Christian in Ephesus. In chapter 2. And starting from verse 19, he says this. Consequently... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You have to notice that Paul was writing to a Christian group that had Jews and Gentiles. Jews were the people who are the descendants of Abraham, and Gentiles were basically the pagan people, anybody else that was outside the Jewish uh, um, uh, nation. And Paul is saying to them, you think that you can be separated from each other and each of you successful in building what God is strong to do. You're living in an area of division, each of you thinking that you're doing the right thing. And Paul is emphatic in the way he's saying, you're not living for yourself. He's saying, but you are fellow citizens. You are members of the same family. And here he's about to tell them today that you also are the temple of God. God Almighty. 
You are fellow citizens. You're not just two different nations. You're supposed to work together for the common good. You're one family. You're supposed to be united in the family business of doing a building. And what is that building? Here he's about to say that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And, and that's the teaching that came to those new people who now become Christians. And he's saying it's based on the message, the true message that came to them from the apostles and the prophets. And predominantly here about the New Testament, the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, with Christ Jesus himself that chief cornerstone. And in all those buildings in those days, the cornerstone was the one thing that preceded every other arrangement and structure. It's the one thing that potentially leveled uh, for them what they're going to do. And also it's the one thing that joined together the different stones, if you like. It was the most critical bit. And they saying that archaeologists, when they looked at the temple, they noticed that the, uh, the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem had a huge, huge stones that were considered the cornerstone. And Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, our connection and being built in faith in Christ Jesus as the Son of God who came and lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death on your behalf and in my behalf. And he has he risen from the dead, ascended to the heavens and sent his spirit to dwell amongst us, to be inside of us individually and inside of us collectively. That is the one thing that joins us together in our family business of building something special and precious and new. And he says this, in him that is in Christ, the whole building, that is you and I and that is them, is joined together is connected together like, like you know how the bricks are, are placed, uh, 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 you know, intertwined together so that the, the pressure is, is, uh, is uh, distributed amongst the different stones and bricks. And it says we're joined together to carry each other and carry that burden. It says and rises to become a holy temple or grows to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then he says, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul is saying to them, you are meant to be col uh, collaborative together in the one project, in the family business of building the temple. You see, throughout the Old Testament, people thrived on the idea of being part of, the, of God's temple. You know, whether uh, it was a big tent, the tabernacle, or whether it was Solomon's temple, and, and David, we remember David, the man of God, a man according to God's own heart, who uh, uh, was desperate to build the temple of God. He was so keen on building the temple of God. It was such an honor and a privilege for him to build the temple of God. It was a big deal because that's where God would dwell with his people. That's where God would meet with his people. That's where God would manifest his glory. The temple was a big deal because it was almost the place where God would show off himself to the world around them. And here Paul is saying, forget about a temple that is made out of stones and bricks. 
regardless of the color and the gold and, and the furnishing and the glamour that's associated with the physical temple is saying we've got something even better. God is building a new temple. And the new temple is Jesus and his new community. Remember when Jesus in chapter 16 of the gospel of Matthew says that I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I'm building a new community. I'm building a new, a, a new uh, uh, society, a society that has no distinction, a society that's inclusive, a society that is made of the Jews and the Gentiles, a society that will extend until all eternity a group of people that are connected with one another and are growing in stature as a result of their relationship and union to the cornerstone Jesus Christ and he's saying this is the new temple it's not the Solomon temple it's the Jesus temple it's not made out of bricks it's made out of people and you are the building in fact in first Corinthians chapter 3 Paul says to them you are God's building he says, you are God's building. He considers himself as a master builder or an expert builder. But he says, you are God's building. And that's you. And that's you. And that's you. And that's you. And that's me. We are God's building. Do you know how precious you are? A building is not bricks and mortar. It's the body of Christ symbolized by a building. You are part of the most precious thing God has ever invented. The church, the community, the ecclesia, the gathering. People that are so precious that God looks through you and God looks through me and says, that's little Jesus. That's part of Jesus. You, anybody that's affiliated with your children, anything that's affiliated with your loved ones is precious to you. Imagine we are so united to the most precious one. It says the living stone that is precious. Imagine in God's sight how you and I are precious. We're not building something silly. We're building the most precious project that God has ever, ever intended to build. Greater than the cosmos, greater than the galaxies. God found humans to be very, very good in His sight. And you're invited, and I'm invited, to build that project alongside God. A place that is not made of hand, that is hearts of flesh. You and I and others are called to be the habitation of God. The place where God dwells. The place where God shows himself off. The place where God loves and cares and heals and serves. The place where God makes a difference in the world. Because you know when God is in a place, the place around it will definitely be impacted. And God is saying, I mean, my people are making a big deal. He's saying that we become, we grow into or rise up to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus was. Do you know that? Jesus was the temple of God on earth. Look in, first, in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John and chapter 14. Look what it says about Jesus. It says, so the Word, God, became and made His home among us. 
He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. How did we find that out? Well, he revealed himself in that home. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. You see, Jesus, the exact phrase that, he made, that God made his home amongst us, the exact phrase about Jesus is that God tapernicled with us. That almost God was a temple entempled and revealed himself and his dwelling in the body of Jesus. And God wants to do the same with us individually and collectively. I don't know about you, but nothing disturbs me and I bet nothing disturbs you more than maneuvering Christianity to be a simple selfish endeavor or a, of a transaction between humanity and God where you give God your sin he gives you a, a free ticket to heaven and you live the rest of your life in a self-centered way that is that's horrible God has something better and bigger for us as followers of Jesus. He wants to dwell in us in a way that would impact the world around us in a profound way. He wants us to grow to be a habitation where God shows forth His glory. He wants to build something awesome. He doesn't just want a ticket to heaven. Friends, that is so cheap. We've made the cross of Jesus so cheap. Because God intended far more than just have some people take a ticket to heaven, but he wanted people to leave heaven on earth. Look, that's why Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 4, and he uses different metaphor, but it's the same concept of edifying or building up. It says, so that the body of Christ here is moved, and, and, and using the metaphor of a, of a temple, we're equating it with the body of Christ, which is us may be built up until we reach unity in the faith. That's the ultimate goal. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, which is more of intimate relationship, not knowledge in the mind, it's like a husband knows a wife. And became, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God intends for you and I to have the same fullness, the same measure that Jesus had on earth, that God Almighty would show himself in you just, just in the same way he showed himself in Jesus. The only difference, he shows himself in you because of the price, the blood that Jesus paid. I don't know how else I could explain this. But all I would love to say is that God wants to show himself in you and God wants to show himself in me. God didn't just want us to be a people who are saved and living life self-centered. He wanted us to build something great. He wanted to show himself through his people. So what are the tasks involved in us living that life? Look at um, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses uh, 4 and 5. He uses the same metaphor of the temple and he says this. Come to the Lord Jesus, the stone or the living stone that lives. The people of the world did not want this stone, but he was the stone of God. The stone that God chose and he was precious. You also are like living stones that the Christians. So let yourselves be used to build a spiritual temple, to be a holy priest who offers spiritual sacrifices to God. So here, Paul is saying, we are, uh, sorry, Peter is saying, we are the building and the builders. We are the building and the builders. And that building needs workers to be used to build. 
What are we supposed to do? If it's going to grow, what are we supposed to be doing in order for that temple of Jesus to grow and develop and become that mature uh, uh, God honoring and revealing God in our lives? There are most commentators tell us that the growth is two parts. Number one, it says God's house grows as new stones are added. Obviously, if you're going to grow a house, if you're going to build a house, you need more bricks, more stones. But also, as the stones in place are perfected, and that's the way we see God taking us to the next level. It's not just about embracing the Christian faith. It's about growing and spiritually being spiritually formed so that we grow into a holy temple of the Lord. Friends, our role, if we're going to be used to be builders of the temple, God's ultimate dream is we need to do outreach and inreach. We need to evangelize as much as we need to build one another up. We need to do both. We need to be engaging God's business and other stones that haven't been selected yet to be grasped from the rubble, from, from the attack of the enemy over people's lives and the community overall. People don't refuse God because they're evil by themselves. It's because the enemy has taken away their desire to connect with God and they need somebody like you and me to go out of our way so other people may never end up in condemned state for eternity. Somehow God has to move us to do that. And sometimes we think, well, people are all right for now and I've been struck and many people who are connected with that particular relational network would, would be quite devastated at the moment where we heard just a couple of nights ago that a girl that is connected with some of our kids from school, she's 21 years of age. She was given prognosis on Friday night, a couple of nights ago, that her cancer is spread in her brain and that she's got days, maybe even maximum weeks to live. And friends, she's 21 years of age. And we think people have got a long way to live so we can be lazy and lethargic in reaching out to people. But people who are 21, my nephew who was 20 years of age living a life. He was struck on a motorbike several years ago and died on the spot, 20 years of age. You and I have a responsibility. I was praying, I was driving the other day and I saw a particular religious environment and I was saying, God, please save them. Like they don't know better. And God straight away said, and what are you going to do about it? It's nice to pray, but God had challenged me to pay the price, not just to pray the price. What about you? Are you playing your part in the building? Each one, to play our part so that people who don't know Jesus may come to know him and have eternal life because you can never guarantee how long they're going to live for. And once they die, the scripture tells us there is judgment. Friends, I know your heart aches for people not to end up 
separated from God. And I pray that you and I will be motivated and urged to do something about it rather than have a self-focused project. To have a selfless project of looking after other people. But we all need to play our parts. Look at what the scripture tells us. In Ephesians chapter 4, a continuation of, of the idea of the building being the body of Christ. He says, uh, to equip his people for works of service. That's what the church needs to do. So that the body of Christ may be built up instead speaking the truth in love. Or in fact, it has nothing to do with speaking. It's all about living the truth. It's basically the exact phrase means truthing in love. It means living a life of truth, maintaining truth. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So this is the whole concept of us revealing the indwelling uh, spirit of God in our lives. From him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. You're so you so get this because many of you are investing significantly in the lives of people around you. Many of you are investing in neighbors. Many of you are investing in the young people in this place. Many of you understand the idea that no one of us can do the work that God intends. Have you ever imagined a, a, a construction site where there is just one builder? Imagine that. Imagine there's just watching for the rest of the opportunity that when other people, one person or two people are doing the work, we need all of us to do our work. You know, I've noticed, and I'll talk about that on the third week of our series, but you probably noticed that there are different people in every building site. There is those that work hard and build. There is those that watch and you can do the minimum possible work that's required, but act busy most of the time. And there is people that actually inspect it's like they look at everybody and yeah, you're not doing a good job. What about you doing something? Maybe I'm not doing a good job, but what about you? Maybe you need to get off your seat and do something. And there's others who just want to demolish. Any good thing that happens, oh, I don't like that. Oh, no, no, we need to get that down. Well, you're a demolisher. You're not a builder. And you know who demolishes in the scripture? Not God's people. Are you a builder? And what are you building? Are you playing your part? Am I playing my part? Am I being prompted by God's Spirit to play my part rather than live a self-oriented and self-building the project of self? Because you're called for so much better. You're called for so much more. I'm called for so much more to partner with God, to co-work with God, to co-build, not to destroy that which is God building. Because it says that those who destroy the temple of God will be destroyed by God. You destroy what God is doing and God will destroy you. Don't think it goes by unnoticed. We need to collaborate together to build the body up, not to destroy one another. Not to gossip about one another. Not to tear one another down. Not to subtly play around so you can make other people fail. That's not God's people. And you will be found out. That's exactly what God does. He allows things to go for a period of time, but He does not, He's not ever defeated in His pursuit of building His temple. Are you playing your part? Two nights ago, 
our children's school celebrated a 40-year anniversary. When they first started, there were 50 kids, and they were struggling. But they came with a vision to impact the next generation. And after several years, they began to, to grow and, 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 and expand in their enrollments. It was amazing. But after three or four years, they began to decline badly. And one principal after another left. I think two principals left. And, and then came a guy called Peter Sheehan. And he was a teacher and became a principal. And he's been there for 39, uh, sorry, for 40 years of which he's been a principal for 35 years. And I read this story because after significant decline of period of time, they had a consultant that come in and say to them, you know, it's better that you will close down the school and send the kids to other schools. That's what the natural person would say based on the results. But they persevered. They didn't have enough money to have laborers to build a new site. So the teachers would come with gumboots. And I read a story about Mr. Peter Sheehan that he was working at one stage in the yard and, and apparently he fell in the mud. And by the time they went to pick him up, he lost his, one of his gumboots. And they, they certain that that gumboot is still under the foundation somewhere in the schoolyard. They played their part. They played their part. And out of the 50 people, now there's over 2,000 people because some teachers persevered. They said they couldn't take time off and have CRT because if they could stand, they had to be there because there was no money for CRT. That's critical relief teaching. They paid the price. They played their part. And today, some of your children, some of our children and other schools around this city, that they are the results of some people who worked hard and played their part and saw a vision of building something for God not merely for themselves. In fact, it was said that some of these teachers put back the, some of their wages in order to help the school survive. Some people choose to live for self. Others, they choose to live for the project of God. You know, when the Old Testament people were taken back from exile to build the land, to build the temple in Jerusalem, they went there and began the work and then they got distracted by the project of self. And Haggai the prophet comes and exposes the selfishness that was in them. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Those, these people say that time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord remains a ruin. Like he's saying, it's not a good time to build God's house. Much like we say at times, I'm busy at the moment. I've got a family to raise. I've got a business to, to pursue. I've got mortgage to pay. I've got people to care for. And that's all great. But the reality that does not take away your commitment and your invitation to invest in God's greatest project in the world, which requires you to be selfless 
in your approach to life. He's saying, you know what? You're saying it's not time to build God's stuff, but it's been for you time where you build your own houses. You're living the project for the project of self. And God is saying that is not good enough because you are not going to be to, to win the benefits that you've been looking for because selfish projects often backfire on us. Look at what God said to them at the end of that passage. He says, you expected much. That is, you expected much from building yourself up. He says, you expected much, but see, I turned out, I turned it out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. As good, as kind, as awesome as God is, He wants to save you and I from living a selfish life. So when we live and orient our entire lives around building ourselves up and ignoring the awesome privilege of helping people be built up in God, God says, I'm going to protect you from that. I'm going to blow it away. I'm going to show you in reality that when you build for yourself and for self alone, eventually it won't be the best return on investment. So friends, I want to say in 40, maybe 30, in 20 years' time, what building will you be celebrating? A building that the Holy Spirit will blow on or a building where the Holy Spirit will blow away? The choice is yours. Will you invest your life in a project that the Holy Spirit blows on and brings to life? Or are you going to invest the rest of your life investing in a selfish project where the Lord blows away like He did in the days of Haggai? It is my heart's desire for me, for my family, for our church family, for your family. There will be a people that invest in the project where God's breathes on it where God's Spirit invested in it, where it blows, so, it, where He breathes life and fruitfulness and impact that in 40 years' time will stand strong like this school and say it was worth every investment. What do you build? Something that the Spirit blows on or blows away? The choice is yours. And I know many of you will commit to build that which the Spirit is blowing on. It's not fun at times paying the price, but the day will come where you and I would say, it was worth it. My kids are walking with the Lord. They've got amazing partners. They've got future that is secure. My, my, my co-workers, the environment changed because of my investment. My neighborhood, they actually now enjoying God like they've never enjoyed before. Maybe, maybe you would look back and you say, not only our neighborhood, but maybe our community have changed because I played a little bit a part in what God was building. Imagine that. Imagine looking back in 20, 30, 40 years' time and say, I built something that the Spirit was blowing on, not blowing away. That's my desire and prayer for you. Let's be upstanding as we sing our last.